Dosri Nune Gor Holodeck Cash. Welcome to the Holodeck is Broken, a Star Trek rewatch podcast. I'm your Captain Laura. I grew up watching most of Star Trek. I'm your first officer, Mac. I've watched way too much Star Trek. I'm Eris, your communications officer, and I've seen some of it. I'm Z, chief security officer, and I have no idea what's going on. Our seven-year mission. To rewatch all of Star Trek from the very beginning. Boldly going where everyone but me has gone before. Previously on The Holodeck is Broken. I'm Mac. And I'm Laura. And last time we talked about Deep Space Nine, my profound love for it, and your general acceptance of it. You like it. I like it. Yeah. Yes. But I kept going. And then I kept going again for a second half. Hmm. And we eventually got to a point where we had enough material for two episodes. So now we will rejoin our conversation wherein we talk about our top five episodes of Deep Space Nine. And now the conclusion. Okay, you can cut around this. What's the episode I watched recently where he did the thing? No, I'm keeping this in. This is great, <laughs> this is this is great stuff. This is this is our life on this a is, daily basis. This is the show now. <laughs> this is the show. No, what was what was it? Oh my god, the one with uh, Garrick and mm-hmm. them. What was the name of that? Garrick and we them. just watched it. Like. Where he he consents to, like, letting the guy die. Oh, in the pale moonlight. Yes. Okay. I couldn't remember the name of it. I think that's on my list. It is. Is it? Okay. Cool. (laughs) Garrick and and them do the things. I need more than that. Empok Nor? Any of the last nine episodes? (laughs) Where they liberate Cardassia from the clutches of the Dominion? Anywho. What, you're... you're, (laughs) You're buzzing me because I'm talking about the topic of the episode. <laughs> I don't have a buzzer. Yeah, no buzzers this no time. No buzzer. No buzzer, no buzzer. And so we're back and we're going to talk about our uh, top five episodes. I just realized I have six and that one of them is a three-way tie. <laughs> You've got five ready to go? I do have you wanna, five. You want to start talking? I'm going to make a difficult choice about what to cut. Oh, okay. So, like I mentioned, I think some of the character work is my favorite part of Deep Space Nine. And it turns out, I think the Ferengi are actually my favorites. So, my top five is going to be very Ferengi-heavy episodes. And you know what? That's okay. It is. Um, They are the most pointedly comedic element in all of Star Trek. Yes. And I've said this numerous times. Star Trek's supposed to be fun, and it's supposed to be funny. And it's supposed to be good. It can be funny. If it's funny all the time. No, no, no. Lower Decks is coming. It's going to be funny all the time, too. Or it Mm. should be. Lower Decks. Lower Decks, the animated show that's coming out from CBS. It's probably the next show we're getting. Cool. Yeah. All right. So, in no particular order, I didn't have time to rank them from, like, favorite to least favorite. And and also some of the the one-off episodes I think I tend to like as well, but that's kind of been the case for me for any series. So we'll start with one of those, season five, episode six, Trials and Tribulations. Yep. It is the follow-up episode to the Tribble episode of the original series. They forced gumped their way into the original series. Yes, so they... they, uh, Oh, why? Well, I can't remember how they 
get to the past originally. They, they pick up that guy. They pick up uh, the, the, who's the, Klingon. the, the stealth Klingon yeah. from uh, Cardassian space. The Cardassians are giving the Bajorans the orb of time. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And the orb of time goes a little haywire and yes. okay, flings so, them back to the 23rd century. Yeah, they go back there. And because the guy doesn't look like a Klingon, they don't know he's a Klingon right, right away. And that just blends in perfectly with the just angry man Klingon version that you see in the original series. Yes. And so, yep, they're they're back there and they discover the guy put a bomb in a Tribble. So they got to find the bomb of the millions of Tribbles that are <laughs> taking place in that episode and navigating Dax his crush on Spock and you know it's it's she, a good time <laughs> she is thirsty for some Spock yeah, it, yeah. you it, at first you think she's talking about uh, Kirk. Kirk yeah and uh but then you realize that she's just, she's all about Spock and yeah it's 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 pretty great um yeah. so there's a lot of good elements to that episode particularly is it O'Brien who it turns out doesn't actually know what Kirk looks like uh, yeah. they see a guy show up. He's like, he's, "Oh, he's that's got to be with, that's got to be yeah. Kirk." And yeah. It's not even a named character on the show. So. Right, right. <laughs> it's not on my list, mm-hmm. but it, it's good. I mean, it is a gimmick show to yes. be sure. But and it's an illustration of Deep Space Nine being great. Is that even when they are, they they get the edict from the studio, you got to do this. They do the best they can. The show has mm-hmm. it shows a good story. It has stakes. It introduces the Department of Temporal Investigations, and they get their own book series later on. I mean, there's real stakes because if they fail in their mission, Kirk will die far earlier than he does, and then the Vedra probe will swallow up Earth, and the Alpha Quadrant will be forever changed. Yeah. But forget the whale probe. The whale probe's <laughs> not even going to get there. There won't be any Earth left over for the whale probe. Whales. Whales. Anyways, so... My... Oh, and, and more on uh, tri- <laughs> Trials and Tribulations, uh, ah. I think. Uh, I, what's also great is, like, some of the sh- series have tried to explain the difference between original series Klingons and anything else, like mm-hmm. forehead ridges, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. And Deep Space Nine does it great in that they acknowledge that there's an issue, but Worf doesn't want to discuss yeah, it. Yeah, Worf's just like, we don't talk about it. <laughs> we do not discuss it without worlders. The end. Yeah, and then it's like, okay, canon satiated enterprise to spend some time on it, mm-hmm. and it gets a little convoluted discovery t- kind of orbits around it for a little bit but never uh, quite true. uh zeroes in on it you're f- perfectly content having wharf say we're not going to talk about it and yeah. then you just don't talk about it yeah. and it's fine it's a thing <laughs> yeah probably one of the my favorite moments though from the episode is they're trying to find a bomb that's up in that the overhead bin so mm-hmm. in the original series episode they keep falling they, they keep yeah. falling just like one or two at a time on Kirk's head and as he's standing there in a pile of tribbles and as you learn in Deep Space Nine that's because uh, Dax and Cisco are standing in there them. just throwing them around yeah. and that's why they keep landing on his head absolutely <laughs> another interesting moment the, the last scene where uh, Cisco actually interacts with Kirk ah, on the yes. bridge it's not taken from that episode. It's taken from a different episode. It's huh. cu- taken from the end of Mirror Mirror. And it was actually the woman that he had met in the Mirror Universe, her re- her real universe counterpart, interacts with him briefly at the end of that episode. And that's who Cisco takes the place of. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Next, this is a two-parter. And I'm just going to count it as one because it's a story. So season oh. three, episodes 11 and 12, entitled Past Tense, parts one and two. They are <laughs> strangely prescient for the time that we're living in. Yeah. Basically, they it's 
Dax, Bashir, and Cisco get thrown backwards in time to the year 2024. Right. The future! And because they have no ID and or money or, or, you know, any trappings, they're they're wearing their uniforms, so they they look like they don't belong. So they get thrown into we're gonna call it a ghetto for lack of a better word. Um they call them sanctuary districts districts in the show, um in San Francisco, right? They're they're still in San Francisco. They're still in San Francisco, yeah. Um, Because they were gonna beam down to Starfleet headquarters and then mm -hmm. with the time issue. So so these sanctuary districts are what happens when you intentionally round up all the people with mental health issues? Underemployment. Underemployment. The people that society has deemed not worthy of participating in it. You stick them in there with maybe one social worker and a bunch of armed guards. And um, and hope everything works right. out. Right. And it's basically, I mean, it reminds me of the ghettos. Uh, that the Jews were routed into because it's just like, hey, you just kind of have to go and you fight for what you need. Nobody's assigned a house. You just, there are houses everywhere, but you just sort of have to like find a place. And it's it's heading to a boiling point. And because it's close to history and it mirrors what our society really does do to people, it, you know, deems unworthy. Yeah, so it hits a little close to home, but basically uh, once they get there, uh, Cisco is remembering like, oh, this is the time period where the Bell Riots happen, which is what leads to uh, the dismantling of the Sanctuary District uh, And a model. big step towards yes. the Roddenberry future. Exactly. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, so this guy named Gabriel Bell, there's a there's a riot, there, you know, great. Well, it turns out they accidentally meet Gabriel Bell and they get involved in something that leads to the real Bell's death. And so Bell won't be around to, you know, be the figurehead of this movement. So what does Cisco do? He says, Hi, my name's Gabriel Bell, and he steps in to make sure that this thing happens. Dick Miller's in it. Anytime Dick Miller shows up, it's a good time. Yep. R.I.P. Dick Miller. He had a good run. Yeah, yeah. He was in his nineties and still working. Nice, when nice. Died. Yeah, I mean, sad, but life well lived. Yeah, yeah. So funny story that I'll just share with everybody. So Dick Miller's in an episode of <laughs> Next the Generation. Next Generation. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> he he's he's a newspaper vendor in a Dixon Hill. In a hol- Dixon, yeah, hol- exactly. Holiday, so uh, program small small parts, memorable. I just remember later, you know, much later, I'm looking through the IMDb list of Dick Miller's thing, and I was like, oh, he was in a Next Generation episode. He played someone named Vendor. (laughs) (laughs) Mac just started laughing. You mean Vendor? Like he sold newspapers, maybe? (laughs) So that's just been a fun little running joke that maybe Mm -hmm. we only find funny, but there you go. Possibly, possibly. I thought he played a character named Vendor, and, you know. alien with a... Fucked up forehead. <laughs> right. <laughs> Anyways, um, okay. Well, are you done? I had a couple things to add on yeah, past tense. Go for it. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, the future as depicted in past tense is remarkably close to our own. Yes. In fact, like I would put this as tied with Robocop for the most accurate depiction of the future. Huh. There's no flying cars. There's not. Oh, true. Significant. Yeah. It, there's a massive information network. Uh-huh. On the planet. I mean, 95 could guess that a lot better uh, for 2024. Mm-hmm. The social ills of it are right on the money. The fact that the news is being watched over the internet rather right. than on right. a TV somewhere. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's it's a very close depiction of the future for all that makes the 
current age suck. It does. It does. You you easily yeah. view 2024 as what happens if the current administration gets any additional time. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting, yes, so the, the visitors to the, uh, to the past are uh, Bashir, Cisco, and Dax. Uh, Dax. And I, which who which one uh, ends up pretty much okay and uh, gets helped by a nice white man? The, the white pretty, lady. The pretty white lady. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. they get separated. Bashir yeah. and uh, Cisco wake up from whatever happened yeah. in a different physical location than Dax. It's Dax just slightly like yeah. It, 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 Dax is helped by a nice businessman. She <laughs> ends up like at the bottom of a stairwell, just a few feet away. Right, and yeah. they're they're like in an alley or yeah, just yeah, yeah. they're they're somewhere where you're like, oh, these are two homeless dudes. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Dax flirts her way. Through fixing the problem. Right, right. Yeah. Women know what's up. We know we, yeah, like, we know what we gotta yeah, do. Yeah. <laughs> so the next episode I chose for my top five is season four, episode eight, Little Green Men. Um this is a Rom, Quark, and Nog centric episode in Crazy which, mix em up. <laughs> which basically they're the aliens that landed in Roswell, New Mexico yeah. in the forties. Cause problems from there. It's kind of delightful because the the whole premise of it is Quirk gets a ship from a cousin or whatever that owed cousin it to Gala. him. Yeah. Nog is going to start at Starfleet Academy, so he yep. needs to get to Earth. Yep. So they decide to take him to Earth. Quirk has a hustle on the side. Hemocyte in the... Right. He, he's doing I a little smuggling. I love so much. It's, it lives in me, man. <laughs> it does. But basically, they get thrust backward into time and then crash and wake up in a facility owned by the military. What I find intriguing is so it, it's kind of a little bit of a trope it's that you know the military wants to come in and just bust up whatever you know strange thing just happened but you've got these two people the the this the scientist lady or mm-hmm. and then her yeah. her fiance um that are you know obviously contracting with the the military but they're there and at no point is anyone well, the military might be like we gotta cut these guys open see what makes them tick but these two are like no we should try to communicate with them I want to be friends with these aliens it, it, it's definitely a trope in Star Trek time travel stories that go back to the 20th century there's always one or two characters who are already Roddenberry style humans mm. living in that time and like, yeah. I imagine a future where we'll all hold hands and there will be no money or war and we will explore <laughs> and everybody's like <laughs> Jeez, get a load of this one. The one from the future is like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just good, and it's it's yeah. pure joy. Like it's yeah. it's funny. Like the watching this family of Ferengi interact with each other is is amazing. And yeah, I I like it. It's just fun. Rom is played by Max Grodenshake is the show's secret weapon. He is the <laughs> the most purely comedic character, but then he also has pathos to him too. It's mm. not just he's not just a clown. He right, is Right, yeah. He is He gets that, married. He has yeah. all these ambitions he and yeah. becomes the Grand Nagus. Right. <laughs> Kind of like he, yeah. he didn't set out to be the world's greediest Ferengi. He just no. He but he <laughs> but he won. He absolutely won. Yeah, yeah. And but he's also immensely proud that his son is this really smart yeah. guy that wants to go to you know he wants to be, be in the, the Federation. He, and, he's going to be the wharf of the Ferengi, right? And yeah. it's Ram is is in, entirely proud of his son right. for that. And, and he <laughs> wears his heart on his sleeve. Mm-hmm. He loves his mother. He does. We'll get and, to that. And he, oh, yeah, and he's friendly too. In one of the <laughs> other ones, like one of the ones on your list is is Ram. 
rom in 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 his full romness mm, mm. on display. Well, and it's right. it's interesting with that episode. I'm reading like in Trials and Tribulations, the uh, Department of Temporal Investigations talks about how Kirk is a menace. Mm. And in the book I'm reading now, which is part of that series, they talk about, yeah, Kirk's a menace, but that Deep Space Nine gang is starting to really give them a run for their money. Because <laughs> you've n- mentioned several episodes now where they have mm. willfully interfered yeah. with the timeline. In yeah. fact, so much so that Cisco becomes a historical figure. And it's paid off again in that very episode. Yeah, because, there's a great moment yeah. where uh, Rom is studying, basically. Nog. Nog sorry, yeah. is studying on the ship um, on Earth the way history. to Earth. And he brings out, like, a a tablet out and is asking his uncle, he's like, hey, have you ever heard about this guy named Gabriel Bell? Don't you think he looks like like Captain Sisko? (laughs) It's great. Okay, so the next episode, the fourth episode on my list is season six, episode 10, The Magnificent Ferengi. Um, Another great comedy. Yes. They are trying to get Moogie, so this is uh, their mother, has been captured by the Dominion, and they're trying to negotiate to get her back. Right. They're they're setting up their yeah. their little they're not quite a heist, but they're setting this rescue operation, and it's, Nog's trying to do it yeah. from a from a, 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 star, a Starfleet he's perspective. From the ca- but they're like, no, point. we're Ferengi. We need to do this like Ferengi. <laughs> it's it's less Ocean's Eleven and a little more like a Western, like the the Magnificent Seven, which is mm. the reference that they're going for. Yeah. But yeah, because they do their Ocean's Eleven episode. We'll get to that mm. in a minute. But yes, so it's yeah. it's it's delightful, and they have you know a bunch of misfit Ferengi with them. <laughs> <laughs> They're just, it, it's great. There's also a wonderful uh, Weekend at Bernie uh, <laughs> thing that they've done. And Iggy Pop. <laughs> and Iggy Pop is in it. Yeah. It's, it's a delightful episode. There's... You you can't watch that and not love it. And yeah. and and Moogie's been cap, uh, captured by them, but she's still trying to give them advice on how to diversify their portfolio. <laughs> It's great. <laughs> it's like because with the Ferengi start as like they're trying to be the new Klingons in it, and it doesn't never ever quite work in the next generation. And Deep Space Nine just made them so delightful and really mm-hmm. reflections of 20th century humans in their greed and avarice mm, and that sort of yeah. thing. But in their attempts to kind of maybe do a little bit better. But the the House of Quark, for lack of a better term, <laughs> is they're so open and open minded and mm-hmm. but. But not reflexively open-minded. It takes them a while to become more open-minded. Because even Moogie is like, she's a smart lady. Yeah. And they love their mother so much, but like she's breaking every societal norm about yep. what a Ferengi woman should be like. Yeah. She's out there wearing clothes and being good at business. Yeah. And so at first they're like, what, what? No, you shouldn't be doing this. But after a while, they're like, no, nah, it's our mom. <laughs> right. They bring the Vorta on the ship. And they're leaving, and, and it's like an ominous moment, like, oh, it's a Vorta. Ooh, ooh. And Rom's like, hi, I'm Rom. <laughs> this is Nog. It's Brunt. It's, it's just so great. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then, yeah, yeah. When, when Cork, is that the one where, where Rom is like, excuse me, Mr. Excuse me. No, no, no. It's the Emperor's New Cloak later ah, on. Because yes, yes. they're captured by the Mirror Universe, and he's like... <laughs> Excuse, Excuse me. me, Mr. Regent. <laughs> yeah. Your cloaking device is up and running. <laughs> and then he, uh, uh, when Quark tells Ron that uh, Moogie and the Grand Nagus are, are lovers, and he's like, no, <laughs> no. There's something about that delivery, and it's so... It's it, so pure. <laughs> you you want to say it's over the top, but it's it's almost... 
it, it's yeah. Yeah. Every time it's it's great. Yeah. And so now we will interrupt that conversation that didn't originally have a commercial break to add a commercial break. Because capitalism. Well, self promotion. <laughs> We're not making a lot of money. Self promotion. <laughs> For capitalism to be present, money has to be exchanged. Uh, see, I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Just generally catching up on the world again. Wear your masks. This is We're recording this a several weeks before this episode posts, but I'm going to assume that somebody out there still needs to hear this. Yes. Yes. And if we're reaching just one of you, that's that's fine by me. And if you're listening to this just show, wear it. <laughs> yeah, you should be already wearing your mask. Wear your mask and tell other people to wear the masks. Yeah, the crew of Deep Space Nine would be wearing their masks. Yes. Yeah. I'm trying to see if there's any except Ducat wouldn't wear a mask. Kai Wynn would not wear a mask. Uh, that's true. Garrick would make a killing on masks. Yes, he would probably think it's stupid, but he would understand the business side of it all and sure. just make a tailored mask but for he'd everybody. Inc- he'd include recording devices on each one, so he knows <gasps> Ooh, exactly yes. what's happening everywhere yes. in the station. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. I wonder, I think Starfleet would issue masks made out With of the same... Ooh, yeah. It's just like you smack your, you smack your face. <laughs> smack your face to start talking to yeah. somebody. <laughs> O'Brien to Ops. <laughs> wow, that was that was a tangent. <laughs> so um, until it's the future and until, you know, we don't need to anymore, just, just wear your mask. Also, Black Lives Matter. Always. Arrest the murderers of Breonna Taylor. And Elijah McClain. That dude deserves some justice. There's Everyone a- deserves justice. Let's, let's have better justice in this country. There's definitely a, a deficit of justice going on, but... Maybe, hopefully, some of that is turning the tide. Slow, slow, steady. Working towards that Star Trek future, man. Other podcasts that you might be interested in, As the Myth Turns, hosted by our still-missing crew members, Z and Eris. They air episodes on weeks that we are off. There's also the Fourth Wall, available on the website in its entirety. I do voices. As do I. And directing and writing and... Good, you, you did everything else. <laughs> a, a good three years of my life, yeah. Um, I showed up and recorded a couple lines. <laughs> yeah. yeah, everybody had a good casual time on that except me. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. I had a good time. It was not casual. It's rough being a creator, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also there are my, is my blog, uh, movie reviews and books. So go to partyapocalypse.com for all your entertainment needs. And with that, we will rejoin the middle of our second part of Deep Space Nine, currently in progress. All right, and then my last of my top five was season six, episode 13, Far Beyond the Stars, which surprised Mac just a little bit. But upon a rewatch of this episode, I was kind of thinking, like, again, this is also, it takes place in the 50s, is that right? 1953. Okay, so we've time traveled again, but it may or may not be just in Cisco's mind. I forget. It is. There is a lot of interpretation there. Um, I think the general consensus is that it is a vision from the prophets. Okay. It's And it's not necessarily something where they went ahead and looked it up and found Benny Russell as a writer for mm-hmm. galaxy science fiction yeah. in the historical database. So he's gone back and he's a writer for, again, a science fiction magazine in the 50s as a black man trying to make his way through the world. All of the other characters, sans makeup, are are there as well. Like you see Garrick there. as Garrick's not in the episode. Oh, he's not. No, Martok. Martok's the guy that Martok I'm thinking of. Martok is the yeah, artist yeah, yeah, yeah. at the magazine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, J.G. Hertzler. 
yeah, so they're they're all there sans makeup because they're pe- just people in the world. But yeah. um, Benny Russell, this this guy, he gets this idea of you know what about a what about a science fiction story about a black captain and yeah. you know this grand future and ba- so basically it's it's that. Anybody who's ever dreamed of something better than what's going on now, this is kind of that episode. Like, this is what happens. Um, But he's kind of flashing forward to what's really going on as well. So there's a few moments where you might see Kira as Kira instead of Kira as the the female writer that works there as well. The borders between fiction and reality are sort of blurring. Yes, yes. One wonders where I got the idea. Yeah, I don't know. Don't know where you got got your love of that. Yeah. but yeah, so it's it there there's a there's a movie a, a moment in there that I always felt was kind of goofy because he's starting to break down when they won't buy his story or or no they bought his story but the they, the, they pulped the run yeah and yeah, they fired they, him from the magazine right yeah. right because they're like you know the world's just not ready for right. a black space captain he's losing control at that moment um, but Avery Brooks commits so heavily to those kinds of moments that. In, in past watches, I might have felt that it was a little, like, campy because he's kind of screaming, they are real! And he's, like, having an actual, like, emotional moment there. But, you know, watching it later on, I was like, yeah, no, I get it. You, This is your life's work, and it's just been destroyed. And it's not just your life's work, it's the better vision you had for what the the universe could be. And that's it, that felt like it was being destroyed in front of him as well. It- only because he was black. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only reason. Yeah. They no. Were that, and that's the only reason. And it, the 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 character Kira was playing was also asked not to show up when they were taking a photograph because right. they don't want the readers to know that she's a female. They don't want the readers to know that they've got a black man writing for them. Like right. you know, they they need the, all of the white people to be in the picture and just told them to show up late that day. Yeah. The discrimination is real and it's. Yeah felt and it's takes place in the 50s but it still feels pretty accurate for things that go on today so if we are better now than we were then it is by margins right yeah 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 i I, I mean obviously we would accept a black commander Mm -hmm. now that central conceit is is yeah seems antiquated but the the violence of authority figures on people of color Mm -hmm. and the, the level of discrimination that they have to or they are forced to endure mm-hmm. uh is very real and has not or that is inflicted upon them like yeah yeah and has not been fixed in a real substantive way mm-hmm. um, i think females even still have a hard time sure breaking like if you'll if you'll notice yeah. that female writers tend not to use their full names when publishing Absolutely. yeah they'll use initials yeah um, because that way you can kind of imagine maybe this is a dude and i'll buy the book because yeah. that's apparently so ingrained in our psyche that Absolutely. that's what we have to do. Absolutely. That's on my list. I think that's a good transition into my list. Yeah, go for uh, it. It, uh, yeah Far Beyond the Stars is an amazing, formative episode for and me. And it feels substantive, and it's not a two-parter. No. It feels like it, sh- it is a two-parter in, in, in the... Just the the depth of the content yes, that's in it, but yes. nope, it's just a regular forty five minute episode. It's yeah, it's a real regular forty five minute episode. I I have steeped myself in this episode since it came out. I've read the novelization. I still have the novelization on our bookshelf here, yeah. and the novelization <laughs> expands it. It talks about Benny's youth 
and and all the things that formed his life to get to the point where he would come up with an idea like uh, Cisco and Deep Space Nine. All of those things are true. I think that's the core of the episode is is that story of discrimination and insurmountable conflict to try to mm, surmount. Yeah. But there's so many other things in that episode that are absolutely fantastic too that I would be remiss not to mention them. Avery Brooks directs it. Oh, and it's about I didn't the only that. yeah, it's about the only episode I think in all of Star Trek that really has an auteur sense of it that you get the sense that Avery Brooks is the author of this episode as oh. the director. There and it's just little moments too. There there's a moment it would just in a, with any other director it would have been just an establishing shot. Benny goes into the diner. But you see Benny going to the diner and he's with these kids and they're singing and they're singing and they're scatting and they're in that sort of thing. And that is so Avery Brooks. If you've ever seen <laughs> The Captains, uh, his interview with William Shatner, oh, where yeah. he, he's, he has a very lyrical way of expressing himself. Yeah, it's people have described him as a jazz singer yeah. <laughs> in real life. Yeah. And that moment, it's such a throwaway moment, but that is like, oh man, this is Avery Brooks saying this is the, this is the, this 45 minutes is why I did the show. The whole seven years. Yeah. I think the writers, the 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 uh, the writers at the Galaxy magazine, as played by the regulars, are so great as analogs for real life writers. Colmini plays Albert, a writer <laughs> preoccupied with robots in, a, mm. in an analog to uh, Isaac Asimov. Oh. Casey Hunter, who is the one that uh, Not a Visitor plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, has some correlation to D.C. Fontana, who was a writer on Star Trek for many years oh. and had to do that very same thing that you talked about, use initials in lieu of name in order to, you know, not press the issue of their gender mm-hmm. uh, to a readership. And then Armin Shimmerman plays, and I'm blanking on the name of the writer now, um, but that writer has a temperament very similar to Harlan Ellison, sort of the cantankerous prince of science mm. fiction, wrote City on the Edge of Forever and probably would have objected to himself being depicted in a Star Trek episode because he (laughs) wasn't a big fan of Star Trek. And that writing crew seems like a real writing crew. They have jealousies. They have... um, uh, But they also can't help but be impressed when one of them does something really well because they're all sitting there captivated by Deep Space Nine as they're reading it. And even Shimmerman's character, who is sort of prickly and irascible and and not above picking a fight with somebody, he just said, this is... Good writing. You can't deny that when it comes up. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Um, the 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 way Benny comes up with the idea that it's not some linear progression of thought, you, but it's like the idea. Everything in his life comes to him at one point, and the idea is fully formed. It's like he meets Captain Cisco and says, "I got to write this guy's story down." Mm-hmm. Everything about this episode is top notch and formed like. We talk about the fourth wall in the, the commercial break. There is so much in the fourth wall that is directly informed by Deep Space Nine and this episode to a little bit. The uh, storyline in the second season uh, of the fourth wall about the writer who comes up with the, and oh, is confronted yeah, with the yeah. character. That's, you know, variations <laughs> on a theme to be sure. This show lives in my brain and that episode lives in my brain. It does. So we'll continue with my list. Yes, yes. I think, uh, continuing on the themes of writers, uh, The Visitor, Season 4, Episode 3. Uh, that's the one with Tony Todd. Am I... Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the guy mm. who played the Candyman. And Kern, Worf's brother, plays an older Jake Sisko as time goes on and uh, as he continues to write and that sort of thing. But a tragedy befalls him where Captain Sisko is disappeared, for lack of a better term, due to a warp core 
mix him up. And he, but he keeps coming back every so often, not aging as Jake oh, continues yeah, yeah. to age. And, and it's a beautiful father-son relationship. It also feeds into the idea of obsession and and he stops writing to become a temporal theory expert so he can try to get his dad back. And it gets all the way to this point. And the solution is that Jake sacrifices himself as an older man so that the timeline can revert back and Captain Sisko and Jake can be together again. And that, that, that like every time I see that episode, I just want to call my dad like, Dad, I love you! I'm sorry! <laughs> yeah. it you You kind of... I, it we're was, down yeah, on it wasn't, not that I was down on it, it's just, it wasn't like. You were not as effusive I, as I was. I w- yeah, yeah, no, it, it didn't hit me quite the same emotional way that it hit you. Yeah. 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 But I'm not a son. Right. So or a writer. And cause or it, a writer. Because then he, like, because. Or a time travel expert. Cause, yeah, because <laughs> Captain Sisko's all like, you know, you should get back to your writing. And I'm like, I will, daddy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So. <laughs> We, we need to rewatch that one. I, I did not put that in your rewatch, your yeah. quick rewatch list. Yeah. Moving on from that, um, uh, let's see. Did you have In the Pale Moonlight on your list? I did not, but it was maybe, it would fit in the top six. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very dark episode. I think that's mm-hmm. what a lot of people point to when it says this, this show moves away from the Roddenberry ideal. Mm. Of, of, uh, it, Cisco commits crimes. Yeah. For yeah. lack of a better term, he is a party to murder, state-sanctioned assassination beyond that. The the arc of his character in this episode far eclipses the entire arc of Janeway, but if they had taken Janeway in that arc and done it better, I would have liked that show better, but... Well, yeah, and I Because think, you think this is what's happening to Janeway, sure. but they never take her all the way there. And I, I, to sort of counter that, I would say Janeway really only had to deal to be worried about 140 people on her ship. Mm. Cisco was dealing with the entirety of the Alpha Quadrant. If he didn't True. stoop to this level, it was entirely likely that the Dominion would win the war mm-hmm. and, and trillions of people would be at risk. Yeah. So I don't know if I would buy Janeway's descent on that if it wasn't handled a little more artfully, which that shows it could have not been. quite yeah. capable of. A lot of people point to that and say, oh, that's why Cisco's not a real Star Trek captain. That's why that's not real Star Trek. They're they're bad people on that show. They do bad things. And I'm like, they are defending that ideal. They are making sacrifices in favor of that ideal. Cisco killed that Romulan guy so that Picard could get all high and mighty in insurrection. <laughs> yeah. There there wouldn't be a federation left over. So yeah. I don't think, oh, he did this bad thing. I think, oh, he made such a sacrifice because he is this Roddenberry-style human that has this idealized utopian vision, but he has to unplug it mm. for a little while to make sure it survives. And that, I, I, I just feel for him because it was a sacrifice in the pale moonlight. It's a great one. <laughs> what, made even greater because you know what it is? It's a reference to the 1989 motion picture, Batman. <laughs> Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? There's no other reference to that. It's just a kind of a nonsense phrase in that movie. The show goes back to it. Yep. Yep. Anyway, you're, you're thinking I'm ridiculous on that one. I always think you're a little ridiculous. It's okay. Okay. It's true. It's real. <laughs> they are real. 
Going further, uh, The Way of the Warrior, which is the season four opener, the introduction of Worf as a regular character on the show. I think that two hours is one of the, the most satisfying Star Trek movies. I would rank that among the best Star Trek movies. It moves along at a great pace. It's fun. It's funny. There's <laughs> they're they're battening down the hatches on the station, ready ready for the Klingons to show up and start shit, and and Quark's sealing up the the bar, and Odo comes by and says, "You got to get to the uh, the shelter." And uh, Quark's like, "No, no, no! I'm going to defend my bar. I'm gonna, I've got this disruptor that I got when I was <laughs> when I was a cook on a on a Marauder uh, ship," and he opens the. The box and Rom's not in the episode, but there's this note from Rom said, "I used parts from the disruptor to fix the replicators. Sorry, I will replace them as soon as possible." And Quark looks at the box and says, "I will kill him." And Odo says, "With what?" <laughs> Pitch perfect. And one of the great discussions that kind of distills the 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 perspective of Deep Space Nine and the grander Star Trek scheme. Garrick and Quark talk about root beer. At one point, it's a little scene, and they talk about how it's bubbly and effervescent and sort of cloying and sweet, and they say, just like the Federation. And Quark's like, yeah. And he's like, the problem is, you drink a little bit of it, and you could like it, and you kind of want more of it. And it's, oh, uh, chef kiss. Uh. And, and yeah, Worf's back, so it has a next generation flavor to it to a little bit, a little bit of degree, and it starts a new... Age for that starts the Klingon war with them. Uh, I, I first appearance of Martok, Way of the Warrior. Go watch it now. You don't need any <laughs> previous experience, really. It's an action. It's an action movie. Brilliant, brilliant. I was going to put Emissary, the the pilot, on the list, but I do need to get to five, so I'm gonna actually excise that. I think it's good. It's probably the best pilot of any Star Trek show, mm-hmm. I would say. Possibly. I like Caretaker on Voyager a little bit, but not fully. Yeah. Everything on Emissary works, except for maybe Terry Farrell's performance. She's not quite the experienced actress you would want her to be at that point. Mm-hmm. She has some stiff line readings, but it set up, sets up the story great. She gets better. She gets better, <laughs> much a lot better. Picard is in it, and he and Cisco do not get along mm. maybe that's why maybe that's the thing maybe from the very beginning my captain was telling me i shouldn't like this and i was like mm, okay he wasn't no <laughs> what's great is they it's not that they they're openly in conflict it's that they have a meeting on the enterprise and picard doesn't know it doesn't remember cisco well he wouldn't he says have we met before and cisco says we've met in battle i was in wolf 359 and you killed my wife and Picard doesn't say, he's not like, well, actually, what I did was, it wasn't that. Picard, he wears that as just a blow to the stomach. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, this isn't going to go well. <laughs> and this is, because, I mean, we obviously know he has trauma from that. But yeah, he, yeah. he isn't like, well, actually, the Borg did bad things to me, too. He, right. he Picard's yeah, it up. Yeah. He, he says, like, well, I'm going to have to take this because, yeah, uh, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> Yeah, because two characters in conflict. Picard's a good leader. He yeah. knows what to do. Two two leaders, two characters in conflict, but you totally understand where they're coming from, and neither one of them is wrong, and neither one of them lets it get petty. He's just like, I'm mad about this, and I'm like, Yeah, you should be mad about that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, chef kiss. <laughs> um, Y'all should see this man's face right now. He is just I'm lit living. up with excitement and. Your joy. I want to watch Emissary again. <laughs> we might do that at lunch. 
<laughs> and then for my number five, I had a three-way tie because this show does holodeck episodes great. Bada Bing Bada Bang, season seven, episode 15. Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite, seven, season seven, episode four. And Our Man Bashir, season four, episode 10. Now, some people go, nah, I don't know about all that. But uh, some of them are pretty good comedies. Bada Bing Bada Bang is a really successful Ocean's Eleven story. Uh, it does all of the, the the heist movie things in a casino that you would want. And this is before uh, the George Clooney came, movie came out. This was only based on, oh, gosh, I really like the Frank Sinatra movie. <laughs> Take Me Out to the Hall Suite is a great comedic episode again. Rom's very much a, a center of that. And it's interesting, Rom is portrayed as the, the most hopeless baseball player of the bunch, but he actually was a very good baseball player and actually was, you know, if he didn't go into acting, he was going to go into that. And uh, so he had to act and play baseball badly. <laughs> so that's a really great performance there. And then Our Man Bashir is a Bond movie right in the middle of your Star Trek show. <laughs> right there. And it's also and it does it well. Uh, uh, and, and on a TV budget, too. Uh, uh. And I, I think maybe why some of those episodes don't hit for me is those are three genres that I'm just not You're interested, not that interested in. in. And I don't I, yeah. like James Bond movies. Right. I don't like baseball. And, you know, I don't watch casino heist movies either. <laughs> and I, I live for all of them. Yeah. yeah. Throw in a Western and you have the Next Gen did a Western. Full, full episode so that I, things I don't yeah. care for. <laughs> Next Gen did a Western and Patrick Stewart directed it. Oh. Fistful of Datas. Yeah. 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 Bada Bing Bada Bang ends with a musical number. Where Vic Fontaine and Avery Brooks sing uh, The Best Is Yet To Come. Mm. And it's great because that's the episode right before the nine-part finale begins. So they're like saying, buckle up, kids. This is our last fun one until we just go right to the end. <laughs> Vic Fontaine, a lot of people complain about that character. I think he's great. I own James Darren's album that he did of, <laughs> of you know, those kind of standards. And where he sings uh, The Way You Look Tonight that he did at the end of the finale. You, you gotta love that. And, uh, 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 <laughs> chef kiss. Hashtag mm. chef kiss. Nice. And those are my episodes. Very good. I think we're well over time now. Oh, I could go I, on. Yeah, you, on you blew through. And on. Yeah. Anything else we want to add about Deep Space Nine? I, you, you love it. I love it. You love it, it so much. I love it so much. Yeah. It's one of my favorite TV shows of all time. Yeah. 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 Next Gen is two. It's up there. It's up there with the West Wing. Up there with the with the West Wing community, mm. uh, Thirty Rock. Yeah. And if you love Deep Space Nine too, you should listen to the Fourth Wall because that is a a Niners love letter <laughs> in thirteen episodes to everything that made Deep Space Nine great. Definitely. Yeah. So consensus, we like it. We like it. I love it. You love it. I love it. <laughs> Next time we are gonna move just a little further back. Mm-hmm. Talk about the next generation. Yay! And we'll go through some favorite episodes there. I think we're both going to be challenged to come up with just a top five I have there. to narrow down what is currently a top 11. I have seven, <laughs> and I could easily add more. The miracle of the next generation is that it started out as a crappy show and got awesome. Yes. It ended on top. Yes. Yeah. So uh, join us for that. I think after that, we may start really examining the possibility of bringing back Z and Eris, even if it's in a socially distanced version, to go back to our uh, previous format. We'll mm-hmm. see what that is and be tuned to this space for more developments on that front. Yes. Thank you for joining us. Be safe and be healthy out there. Yep. They are real. 
Hashtag chef kiss. Hashtag root beer. <laughs> the end. Bye. <laughs>